Hi, this is Rabbi Mintz coming to you live from my bunker, hiding away from the coronavirus deep in a cave in Bel Air, California. Welcome to my second episode of my podcast, The Mensch. One of the things that was noticing here in America is we're in a huge culture war. Everybody agrees there's something going on. The culture is changing. I want to read to you out of a manifesto, which dates back literally thousands of years, but this is the basic manifesto of how countries take over other countries to change history and to change the cultures of people. The first thing you do is you destroy the past. Anything that they're proud about, you destroy it. So they don't have something to look back to. It would be forgotten. The second thing you do is you start creating a narrative. Why, what that was, is a big evil, and what we have is a better medicine. I'll give you an example where this happened. When the Romans were taking over the world and conquering, they wanted everybody to be like them. What happened was the Jewish people stood up and said, no, we want to be Jews. We don't want to. What did they do? They came in, they conquered, and they destroyed your past. They destroyed your temple, and they took you, and they threw, threw us all over the world. When Christianity took over Europe and swept through, what was the first thing that it did? It put down all cultures, all traditions. They went to the Greeks and said, your gods are pagan. They destroyed everything. And they even broke the places of, of, of entertainment, whatever it was. And they said, we're it. When Islam of Mesopotamia, how did they go and do? What was their manifesto? Same thing. They started wiping out all the things that was kind of Greekish in Egypt and Persia, the Babylonian. And they said, no more. We're bringing the Islamic stuff. And what did they basically do? They came in. And if there was something you were proud about, like a big city, one of the most famous ones that we all know about was Constantinople, named after Constantine. I don't know. Excuse me. They destroyed it. And they put on top of Constantine's palace a mosque. Why? Forget the past. They are evil. We got something better. And even when it comes to, if you remember, the Church of Rome, they were going all over in the 12 and the 1300s. They were burning books. The Talmud was being burned. Any book that was a philosophical book, they burned. Because they didn't want your image and your memories and your thoughts to contradict. So they controlled the thought process. Today, we're having the same thing. Just like the church early on wanted everybody to kneel to them. And the Islamics wanted everybody to kneel to them. And secular secretarians had to go and kneel to the Roman Catholic Church. And as Jews, also through the years, we had to kneel to their way of thinking or find death or we'll shout you down or kill you. Today, there's not much different going on. Today, we're seeing in the street, everything is being shut down. But where does this come from? I got something I want to share with you. First thing is, this is the first thing you have to know. The teachers in academia, in the colleges and university, have a greater influence on your child than you do as a parent. That's right. We're missing on college campuses today, open speech. Everything today is one-sided. You may agree with me, then I'll let you talk. You disagree, we shout you down. Let me read to you something amazing that I read from the book, Breakdown of Higher Education, chapter two. He writes, the uh, salt 
of free expression in the public sphere is a system, is a symptom of a larger problem that needs to be understood and dealt with before we're able to restore genuine respect for freedom of speech on campus. For an example, he says, if tomorrow every campus in the nation were to ensure that visiting speakers are never shouted down, the underlying sickness of higher education would remain untouched. I'll give you an example. You know how many times an Israeli professor is told you can't go? BDS, you can't come in? Or if, if a, an ambassador from Israel comes to Israel, the Palestinians come, they shout, they shout, and they go in the room, and the guy has to walk out. Or what about Ben Shapiro? Whenever he wants to come on campus, he is shouted out. He has to pay $10,000 sometimes to pay for his security. Why? What's going on? You cannot understand the nature, he writes, of the sickness until we start asking, why is free speech constantly under threat on the campus? Why do shutdowns and near riots near occur on such regularity on campuses? And now it's spilling out into the street. These, quest these questions lead to even a broader subject, he writes. Here in the higher education has been thoroughly corrupted and diverted. No more free thought. No more. Why is it then that you, can, you can't remember any professor or spokesperson, he writes, from Israel? He actually writes this. Why? And the answer is, we have an agenda. So what is going on? Why do you send your children? What is the, what is the answer that we have to confront this mega power bully pulpit that professors have? This is what you must understand. And this is the mensch talking to you now. The professors, when you go into college or university, these kids look up to them as gods. That's right. They're the ones that hold the power to your mark. Your child recognizes that you paid thousands of dollars and you worked so hard that they should get into Harvard, into Yale, into UCLA, and USC. The child thinks, you want me to hear their intellectual thoughts. You want me to understand everything that they're talking about. Why else would you spend so much money on my SAT score? Why would you send it? What? So the parent is saying, I need you to go to college, university. Which one? That one. So the kid is thinking, you want me to come here? And you want me to hear what they, and the professors know this. So great is their influence that the media and the school stand by their shutdowns and their shout outs. And there goes public discussion. You see, you parents, you really have no clue what's going on in the classroom. Because if there's a child that has any other thought, He's hissed or she's hissed. Going, Shh, you can't talk that way. And the professor gives you a look and all of a sudden you're scared of your mark. You assume that college campuses is a wonderful, peaceful place. It's not like it. The good old days. The good old days, you were able to have discussion. Today, what goes on on Facebook, what goes on on Instagram, what goes on on CNN, MSNBC, and Fox, people screaming at each other, there's no decorum. That is exactly what the professors wanted. We'll shout you down. That's exactly what the manifesto is if you want to change the culture. You see, America has a phenomenal pride of being an American. 
We Americans love the concept that we go to other countries and we fight to liber liberate communism. We love that we are able to go and give anybody who comes to our borders a better chance for a better life. We love that we are a country that is, stands for liberty and freedom and justice. But there's a lot of people that hate that and they want to change it. So hence today, my dear friends, you see hundreds of thousands of college students of all races, good American kids, kids that went to, that live not in the inner city, but they're living out in the middle of Long Island, out in Orange County. What happened to our sons? What happened to our daughters? Why are they rioting? Do you really think they, that they hate this country? The answer is yeah. Because when they come home, you just roll your eyes. I don't know where my kid gets these ideas from. They must be reading some magazine. No. This is coming straight from the manifesto. There are a lot of people in every college campus. And they are the ones that are teaching your children. Many times, the media keeps blaming Trump for all the evils. How could it be all the evils? From the day he came into office. And I'm not talking that I'm a Trump fan. But you got to realize the moment he came into office, all problems of the United States, all the ills and everything. What? We all of a sudden became a racist because of him? All of a sudden, and I got to be honest with you, we're in a culture war. Both liberals and conservatives hate what's going on. I grew up as a Kennedy Democrat. I'm still registered as a Democrat. I do not like where my country is going. I don't like what's happening with all of these governors and these mayors that are all part of. Let the problems, let them scream, it's all good. What? Well, academia says they have a right to speak. It's free speech. No, it's not. I don't see the other side. I don't see anybody trying to stand up and say, we have a point of view. And the reason is because you and I, Democrats and Republicans, are scared because we know if we open our mouths to some person on Facebook is going to shout you down. Where did they get that strength from? From academia. Because they see their own kids doing it. And we stand by and we allow it. There's a huge culture war going on. And that's what I said to you before, from the manifesto book. If you want to change the culture of any place, the first thing you must do is control the thinking, control the process of what they think. And don't let anybody go and say, I have a different view. Do you think a Jew is able to go and stand up to the church and say, I have a different view? No. Do you think a Muslim was able to go up to the church and say, we have a different view? Oh, no. They shut you down. Why do you think they burnt the books? It's the same way today. You have thoughts and I have thoughts. We don't like where this country is coming from. So our country's issues is not just political, but everybody says it's political because we've got to go vote. This new way of thinking and acting, go out there. Go make yourself heard. Go scream or else if you don't do something. 
real noise, they're not going to hear you. Nothing will change. That is taught and bred in the academia. My question to each and every one of you is, how are you going to raise a mensch in today's world? If your values are going to be undercut, if your values are going to be made to be embarrassed about, in all the universities that you send your child to, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, you know I'm onto something. What say you? I'm looking forward to your comments. Leave them on the link below. Gotta be a mensch. Hi, welcome back. We got another major issue going across the entire America today, and that is the destruction of many of the monuments. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? First, let me bring you up to speed what's going on. Hundreds of troops with the Washington, D.C. police, National Guard also, have been mobilized to protect the monuments all over Washington, D.C. So the question is, is this a good thing to do? Let me read you another story that's going on right now in South Dakota. Did you know that Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, vowed to protect Mount Rushmore because there are people there that want to go climb the mountain, start chiseling it and breaking down all the faces that are on it? Are you kidding me? Why would you want to destroy Mount Rushmore? Now, I do understand there are a lot of people that do not like certain things that these people may have done in their private lives. Some of them were slave owners. I get it. Some of them were not great people. I get that. Does that mean we destroy everything? Does it mean we go around and destroying every single thing of our past? I got to tell you something. I'm very proud of Abraham Lincoln. He stood up to half the country and said, I do not like slavery. He should be there. I love George Washington. Whether you like him or not, as in private life, this man fought for this country to be what it is. Now, you may go and say, I don't like this country. That's academia. The country is great. The Constitution is fantastic. The Declaration of Independence, that I am free to serve God. I can pursue my happiness any which way I want. It's a fantastic thing. And these are the people that led us at that time. But I'm going to ask you all a question. Just because people don't like certain things, should we get rid of it? For an example, I think these same people now should go to Rome and destroy the Roman Colosseum because how many tens of thousands of people were tortured there just for entertainment? No, let's get rid of it. Personally, and this is what the Mensch says, I need reminders of my past. Should we go and destroy the German concentration camps because six million Jews plus other millions of other people died in there? Should we go and say, this brings terrible memories? I can't handle it? No. It's good for Germany to keep on looking at this is what happened when evil goes unchecked. But remember what I said to you before. There's a manifesto. Destroy everything. And then there'll be a vacuum. And we come in with what we want. We don't like the America. 
destroy the past, even though they were great people, but they did some evil things in their private lives. I say we must protect us. We must protect every one of those statues. Because a lot of it is fantastic for our country. In the schools, we can always bring up, and by the way, these great heroes of ours are human. And they made mistakes. Statues are stories of our past. Doesn't always glorify the person totally. But it's okay to teach the kids our pure history. But that's the manifesto. The manifesto always tells us. Wipe away the past. Good, bad, ugly. What the church did. It's what the Romans did. It's what the Greeks did. It's what everybody does. And they don't like what's going on. I say, keep the monuments. There are many statues out there, like Grant, General Lee. You know, these were people that were not so great. Some of them were generals of the Confederate Army. Should we keep them going? And I got to tell you something. That's part of America. It's the good, it's the bad, and it's the ugly. We must always remember that's who we were. But that's why we have the civil rights. That's why we have the emancipation. That's why we have a Barack Obama as a president. Because we went from there. And we want all of us to remember we cannot go back there. i got to be honest. I don't want Hitler's name taken out of history books. I want people to know that the Nazis existed. You know why? Because when left unchecked, People can go back to that evil way. When you have these Confederate people, you can point. You see that guy? He was fighting for slavery. He was the big guy of the South. This is who they glorify. I teach my children. Better not ever be that way. My dear friends, we're in a culture war. It's okay for us to be human and have chosen terrible things in the past. But our country has grown from our choices. And look how beautiful we could be. What you see in the streets today is a culture trying to destroy the pride, the patriotism, the love of what an American is. And they're trying to tell you that this is patriotism. This is what it means. As I heard one person go and say, this is the early blue coats that were coming to fight for America. This is the Paul Revere's of our days. No, my friends, Paul Revere never would have burnt his own shops. He never would have gone and shouted down his leaders. Paul Revere was allowed to go and be part of a discussion. Who shall we be under the king or free? Without freedom of expression, we lose everything. The academia has caught the children's minds. Do we want to destroy all of our statutes? I say no. It's part of who we are. And even the Confederates, there's some ugly parts of us too. They'll remind you and I how to be a better person. And you can now teach your child, be a mensch. For our next segment, what would a mensch do? I'm going to let my producer, Jack, fill you in. Take it away, Jack. 
Hi, Rabbi. All right, what would a mensch do? These are quick bites answering topical questions of today's news. I'll let another producer, Rhiannon, ask the first question. Rhiannon. Hi, Rabbi. Uh, so to promote inclusivity in their parks, Disney recently announced their plans to update the theme of one of their most famous attractions, Splash Mountain, from Song of the South to Princess and the Frog. So starting with Disney, how does the men feel about private companies making conscious decisions to promote representation? Great question. They're a private company. They know what's best for them to make money. And if this they feel is good for them, let them do it. The consumer will let Disney know whether they like it or not. Personally, let them do whatever they want. I love it. Everybody sometimes needs to change. You know, it's okay. Let them do it. Okay, Rabbi. What new guidelines would the Mensch put forth to make sports more COVID safe, opening up the arena? That is great because a lot of people want to see baseball. A lot of people want to see basketball, football, etc. But you got to be honest. Outside taking a test every day and taking your temperature, ball players play with broken thumbs. They play with broken wrists. And let me ask you, if your star quarterback had a 101 temperature, are you telling me you're going to tell you, say, Tim, sit it out on the Super Bowl game? Are you telling me that your ace, you're going to tell him this is going to get me into the World Series? You're going to, so I got to be honest with you. Ball players suffer years after they retire because they're willing to take the hit and pain. And play through the pain because they want that trophy. They want that award. So what will, who, who's going to govern the temperature? Who's going to govern the testing? That's all you really can do. I mean, they're already saying no fans will be there. I like that. I really like it that there's not going to be a lot of people all stuffed in the stadium because you're only going to spread by screaming, yay! And all of a sudden, you're... you're, you're Saliva goes, you know, four rows deep. So I like that, that they're not going to have fans and we can at least be entertained. But the ball players, you know it. They're not going to go and tell their coach or their manager, oh, I woke up today and I have symptoms, which could be part of the virus. They want to win. So it's a very, very, very sketchy world that we're going to get into and we're going to find out. Some guy is going to write in his biography 20 years from now how I won the World Series. <laughs> and he's going to go and say, I didn't tell anybody that I had the virus. It's going to happen. Thanks, Rabbi. Here's another question. Winona Ryder recently opened up about an anti-Semitic remark directed towards her by Mel Gibson. So what should a mensch do when confronted with bigotry firsthand? Embrace it. Embrace it. If somebody calls me a dirty, rotten Jew, I'm going to embrace it. Now, let me tell you why. When I was a kid, I was six years old. Yankee Stadium, my father took me to bat day. It was the Yankees against the Tigers. Mickey Mantle hit a home run, and the whole place was standing of an ovation. we gone nuts. And all of a sudden, from behind us, some guy goes and screams, You mother F Jews, sit down. So my father took my hand. And we sat down, and he then leaned over to me, and he asked me, are you scared? 
And I'm thinking, no, my my father's here to protect me. And then he says, does it bother you that they said such dirty words with the, with the, as a Jew? And I'm thinking, no, because daddy, you're going to protect me. That's all I was thinking about, that my father would protect me. But then my father said something. He said, you should be very happy that they called you terrible words with the word Jew. And I said, why? He says, because they recognize that you're a Jew. You must be doing something right. He got the problem, not you. Always be proud of who you are. And if they ever go and they give you a slur, you stand up and you say, that's me, proud to be a Jew. And that's what we should do. We should embrace it. That doesn't mean that we can't go out and try to find who these people are and try to change the anti-Semitism, etc. But immediately, my first gut, embrace it. You know why? I'm proud you recognize that I'm Jewish. Got a problem with that? I don't. Going off of that, Rabbi, how did, in the wake of protests and civil unrest in America, how have the Jewish people of the past been able to maintain hope and create change in the midst of oppression? We Jewish people, we're taken out of Egypt, and the first thing that we went to was Mount Sinai. At Sinai, God gave us a mission. The mission that God gave us is not just a religion, but to carry these teachings of God, live these teachings of God till the coming of the Messiah, and then continue on after that. No matter how many storms there are, there was the times that the Romans came after us, the Greeks came after us, the Persians came after us, the Egyptians came after us again. And then it could be that there was the blood libels and that there was the Crusades. All of these things tried destroying the Jewish people. But not only Jewish people, but other cultures also. The Christians tried to change the cultures and, the, and then you had the Islamics trying to change the cultures wherever they were in and they were conquering things. In the middle of all this were the Jewish people. We're being we're being destroyed from every side. We're put into ghettos. What was what's the one thing that has survived every civilization? Unchanged. And that's the Jewish person carrying on the mission. You see, when you see me eating kosher, observing the Sabbath, praying three times a day, I'm doing the exact same mission that the Jews did. In the desert, when God gave his mission statement, we Jews recognize there's always going to be hurricanes all around us. Try to find the eye of the storm, ride it out, and we'll come out of that part of history as strong as ever. And that's where we are today. Right after the Holocaust, you would think it's over. A third of our people destroyed. Many of our synagogues and our schools and our cultural centers all over Europe decimated. Yeah. What did we do? We stood up. We got a mission. We built bigger, stronger, because everything that we do is always going to be about carrying on the mission statement. And that is what a Jew is. They don't allow anything to get in their way. You know, I, I sometimes talk to many people and I say, they say to me, Rabbi, um, if it wasn't for this, I'd be able to do that. If it wasn't for this, I'd be able to do this. I'd be able to do that. And I always say to them, he says, you know, we Jewish people never had the ability to say, if it wasn't for this, we would be better off. If it wasn't for that, we would be better off. 
There's always an anti-Semite. There's always countries. There's always terrible things happening to the Jews. We never allowed an excuse to hold us back. We always kept our eye on the target. So can you, no matter where you're from in the world, keep your eyes on the prize of where you want to be. No one can hold you back. Great question. And for our final question, Rabbi, all over social media you see the phrase, white silence is violence. What is your response to a statement like that? That is fantastic. A lot of people don't realize that that is a form of intimidation, and it's also shaming. Because if you're silent, you must be agreeing to the violence. Not true. I just don't want to go along with you. For example, the people of the church would go and say, kneel and bow to the cross. And if a Jew didn't do it, they said, what? You don't want the Messiah to come? That's intimidation. That is shaming. It's not the way you bring people to your side of the discussion and the argument. Their cause is fantastic. No police officer should ever kill an unarmed black guy. But shaming me? That white silence is violence? I never want anybody killing somebody. Why are you shaming me? Because I'm not part of your group. That is part of what we said before. The way to take over the country, to take to break over the culture is destroy everything. And the vacuum comes. But you got to do it my way. I don't have to do it your way. I am with you. All violence has to come to an end. But I'm not going to do it your way. Before we close, I want to tell you a, a story about Moses. Before he died, our rabbis teach us that Moses was told about the future generations. And one of the things that he saw was, was the last generation before the Messiah came. In the verse near the end of the entire Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, it says Moses was the most humble man ever. Our rabbis go and say, not only was he very humble, but he was humbled by the last generation before the Messiah came. To understand that, let me give you an example. There was once a father with two boys, and he went off to war. And he said to his two boys who are eight years old, hugging him, hugging them, always remember I love you. I will be back. A year goes by, two years go by, three years go by. The kids have no father. They have to do everything on their own. They go to baseball practice by themselves. They go through schooling by themselves. They were once bullied in school. They had to take care of it by themselves. They really lived a tough life without their daddy around. After six years of being away, the daddy is about to knock on the door, but the window is open. And he hears the two boys who are now 14 years old, arguing. What are they arguing? When daddy comes home, I'm going to make him his favorite soup, a mushroom barley soup. The other boy goes, no, 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 no. I love daddy, and I know it's not mushroom barley. He wants a split pea soup. That's all he wants. Forget the mushroom barley, split pea. He said, no, mushroom barley, split pea. And the father hears the children fighting. 
after all of these years, how they love him, even though he's been far away. What's the point of the story? Think about it. Moses was watching the last generation today in the year 2020. God goes and says to Moses, look at that generation. Who's their leader? They've gone through a holocaust. For 2,000 years, they were beaten. They're living in Europe, and they have anti-Semitic slurs. In America, just a week ago in Los Angeles, people were rampaging through the streets, and they went for the synagogues, and went for all the Jewish stores. That was the very first place that they went to. Yet, they wake up every morning, and they go and say, God, I love you. And they say their morning prayers. The women, every Friday, they go and say, God, I love you. I can't wait to bring in the Shabbos by lighting candles. Moses is watching. Wow. Even after 2,000 years without a leader like Moses there, he was humbled. How dedicated his people are, even after all the suffering and time has gone by. This week is the passing, the 26th year of the passing of my mentor, the Rebbe. For 26 years, I haven't seen him. But I carry on his teachings. And so do many other people carry on the teachings of Chabad to keep Judaism exciting and alive. And I hope from heaven he loves seeing that we're fighting over do you like barley or do you like split pea? Do you like that this Jew, because of your teaching today, is lighting Shabbos candles? Oh, no, you love this Jewish because they started putting on the tefillin. The Rebbe loved every Jew and tried bringing them the teachings of Judaism. May God send us the Messiah so we can see Moses again, the Rebbe again, and all of the world will be at peace. And we don't have to worry about everything we spoke about This during this second issue of the Mensch Podcast. To each and every one of you out there, I want to thank you for listening. Please subscribe. If you have any comments, please write them below. I will read each and every one of them. But no matter what, every one of us, make the right choice. Because you always have to be a Mensch. God bless you all.